The proverb, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, expresses the idea that a small amount of knowledge can mislead people into thinking that they are more expert than they really are, which can lead to mistakes being made. The ability to look at a calendar and then perhaps use an internet search engine led to a large USA Sheriff's Department in Florida announcing to a packed press conference who were waiting to hear details of a serial killing, it's witchcraft. I'll say that right now. Add into that the suspect had a rather unusual belief system. The press was salivating at the future headlines. Was it a satanic panic in the making? Or was it all about the money? This is the case of Donald Wayne Hartung, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time of day it is where you are. Welcome to the Murder Me on Monday podcast, the 98th best true crime podcast in the UK, apparently. I am Cameron, and joined with me is Mother. Hello. So welcome to all our new Scottish listeners. Glad to have you with us. Welcome also to the new listeners in Australia. I hope you're staying safe from all those awful floods. And the same for the people struggling in Florida. They're having a bad time. Welcome also to our latest Patreon, Emma. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate you. I knew of this case, but not the witchcraft angle. And it being spooky month, thought it rather fitted here. It's also referred to as the Blue Moon Murders by the press. Now, what would you take that to mean? either once in a blue moon or a specific cycle of the moon. But they've done they've done him dirty here. They've given him a cool name again. <laughs> you can't keep doing that. You've, you've got to call him like shitbag Steve. You can't actually give them a cool name because the people are just going to want to do it more, aren't they? <laughs> or, or they're going to kill people in, in cooler circumstances. They're, they're going to kill them dressed as Ronald McDonald and he's going to call them McDonald killer. Well, that's John Wayne Gacy, isn't it? He's dressed up as a clown. He's, he's a different... <laughs> You're part right, Cameron. A blue moon is an event taking place every three years where there are two full moons in the same calendar month. But in common parlance, I would have said a very rare occurrence, like you said. where it comes from, once in a blue moon. Yeah. Apparently, there's also something called pink moons, which is actually about the flowers that bloom at the time, not the colour of the moon. And you've also got hunter's moons. But if you're not really into it all, all the lunar cycles, it's all a bit confusing. So back to the case. We are off to Pensacola, Florida. I swear we're not picking on you Floridians. Pensacola is called a city, but it's not huge, about 55,000 residents. Three of those residents were 78-year-old retired Von Seal Smith, known as Vonnie, who had been widowed in 2012 after a marriage that had lasted 47 years. She lived a very quiet life with her two sons, Richard, aged 49, and John, aged 47. She also had an older son from a previous marriage called Donald, who was born on the 11th of January 1957, which made him 58 when the events took place in 2015. Richard was an interesting character. He was an IT specialist with the Department of Homeland Security. He had never married no children, he lived for his work and his mother and his brother John. John had learning disabilities after a problem with his birth and like Richard, never married or had children and lived for his job at the local Walmart where he was the trolley collection guy. Been there well over 20 years, ever since the place had opened. They were, 
as a family unit, quiet and unassuming, and whilst not actually reclusive, did keep themselves to themselves. And some neighbours of many years standing had never actually met them. Sounds like the ideal neighbours to me. Donald lived by himself in a small two-bedroomed house a few miles away that he'd rented for many years and he drove an old car. He worked as a security guard at a local hospital, so he wasn't on big money at all. He was long divorced with one adult son who he was not close with. The family had fallen into a pattern whereby Donald would go to his mother's house on a Tuesday and cook for her and his brother John, who didn't work Tuesdays. And then he would leave Richard's dinner in the oven for him to have later when he got back from work. 28th of July, 2015. They go through their usual routine. Donald makes a chicken dinner and it's the last time anyone sees the rest of the family. Now I want to talk about this chicken dinner. Apparently, it was roast chicken, uh, frozen sweet corn and green beans. And what they describe as, um, what's the American thing for bread rolls that we would call it? They call it biscuits. Biscuits, that's it. And me being a Brit, I'm sat there going... I'm not sure if that's different though. I thought biscuits were closer to a scone or a scone. Yeah, they look like that. That's what I thought they were. Yeah, but I'm I'm the Brit. Where's the potatoes? I was going to say, you you need some form of carbohydrate in there that isn't a cruciferous vegetable or sweet corn. Like, what what is that? You need something else there. You need a staple part of the the meal. You've got to have a Yorkshire pudding. The reason I know all of this is because of what was found afterwards. But anyway, it's known that Richard leaves work around 6.30pm that night and had the following day off work to take his brother John to a morning doctor's appointment. John didn't make the appointment and Richard was not responding to text messages from a good friend and colleague, which worried them. When Richard didn't show up for work on the Thursday or Friday and doesn't call in, and being who he worked for, people got really worried. His boss drives out to the house on the Friday morning and finds Richard's car there, but no one answers the door. So he asks the local sheriff's department to do a welfare check. They turn up, can see that there are no signs of break-in or forced entry. It's a bungalow, so there was no ladders needed. They didn't have to worry about a second story. It actually horrified me to hear that they used a credit card to pick the lock on the back door to gain entry. Don't they have Yale locks in the USA? You can't break those open with a credit card. You put the credit card into the door latch, you bend it one way, you wiggle the handle, then you snap it back the other way, and it happens to like slide behind the latch. That's not secure in any no, way, shape, I, or form. It, I mean, it's super common in movies from back in the day. That's how you'd break into like a motel yes. room door. Yeah, They have to have been changed since then because everyone could break into a door. So they have, they have to have changed it. But there must be some places that have still got those old locks yeah, on. Yeah, antiquated hotels in America on yeah. roadsides, definitely. But when this happened, I guess it might have been for an old door. Uh, anyway, they get in and they find John in a chair in the den where he usually watched TV. He sat there and he'd been beaten around the head and had wounds to his neck. They find Richard laid on the floor in front of where John was sat. He had a bullet wound to the head and also knife wounds to the throat. They then find Vonnie, who had been attacked in her recliner in the living room and beaten, and then dragged through to John's room, and she also had wounds to her neck. She also had the tip of her little finger missing and the police never found it. Made a change from nipples, I guess. All three are long dead. 
The strangest thing that struck the police was that all the bodies had piles and piles of clothing over the top of them and rugs also. One theory was that it was to keep the bodies warm and prevent an accurate time of death being calculated. That got me wondering if homes in Florida had heating as well as the obligatory aircon, and they do. But it was July, so very humid, but it puzzled me why he didn't just whack the heating on as some killers do do to screw up the time of death. Well, the, it definitely gets cold in Florida because iguanas regularly freeze in the trees and fall out and hit people. So it must get really cold in the winter and then really hot in the summer. And I know if you don't have aircon in Florida, then you're going to get mold. Yeah. Because how humid it gets. Yeah. Maybe whacking the aircon on might not have worked. Might have made people think, why is the aircon on? Because you can see, you can probably see some form of fog or smoke coming out of it, can't you? I don't know how it works. We don't have them in the UK. Well, it would have confused the time of death from the body temperatures not either heating up or cooling down. The other theory was that they thought maybe it was the covering up of people's faces that they do sometimes as an intimate act. They don't want to see the face of the person they've killed, such as a family member. So about two hours after the discovery of the bodies and an hour after investigators have been appointed, they go to speak to Donald. Obviously, he says he's got no idea and he hadn't done anything and he'd left his mother and brother around 5.30 or 6 o'clock at night. He says he never saw Richard, never touched anything that belonged to him and everyone else was fine when he left. Police were very interested in that statement. Seems Richard has some kind of filofax type thing that he carried around with him with stuff like personal papers in his checkbook. And that, be, that had been found on the kitchen counter with Richard's blood on it. He's dead in the den. They find Donald's DNA on Richard's checkbook, where it definitely shouldn't have been. Forensics also found a bin with some odd things in it, like Vonnie's handbags and purse. And the food on the top, like the plates had been scraped off. That's how I knew what they'd eaten for dinner. And then a cigarette butt in the middle of it with Donald's DNA on it. They also find Donald's DNA on the inside of Richard's belt, which investigators believe Donald had grabbed to move Richard's body. Remember, he hadn't seen Richard at all, so why was his DNA on the belt? So where does the witchcraft element come into it? Someone at the sheriff's department pointed out that the blue moon was on the 28th and the family was last seen. So what, you may ask? Well, when they had been talking to Donald, they searched his house. He had a Wiccan worship room in his house with books about witchcraft and even had a Ouija board. Police immediately announced it was witchcraft-related as they only had the most basic knowledge of Wicca and that absolutely floored the waiting press. Half the population immediately probably thought that Alastair Crowley was reincarnated and living amongst them, or that someone had brought Santera to their quiet area. A lot of people were panicked. Now, hands up. I thought Wicca was an ancient belief system, as it's always linked to paganism. Apparently, it was developed in England during the first half of the 20th century and was introduced to the public in 1954 by a guy called Gerald Gardner, who was actually a retired British civil servant. Paganism is just a belief system in multiple gods and you don't attend a church. Yeah, but it's, it's the term paganism makes most people think it's ancient, doesn't it? I would have thought that's how, that's how my brain worked with it anyway. It could also be propaganda because we live in a Christian-centric society w wiccan is a neo-pagan earth-based religion that believe in witchcraft and magic that's how it's defined and paganism is just worshiping more than one god and or doesn't go to church right 
So well, a, a Wiccan can be pagan, but a pagan doesn't necessarily mean Wiccan. Yeah. Well, some practice witchcraft, but not all of them. And I don't believe that there's any black magic associated with any of it. Some practice what's often called hedgewick magic. So herbs and stuff found in nature. There are sometimes covens and such. And it all seems a bit make it up as you go along. None of the academics who have studied it agreed on anything. And most of the followers don't either, surprisingly enough. But the police who hadn't lost their minds carry on looking into Donald and the family dynamics. In August 2015, they talked to Von Seal's lawyer about her will. The estate was surprisingly large, just shy of $900,000. It seemed she had left everything to Richard and John and excluded Donald specifically. Now, that was odd. Donald wasn't wealthy. He rented and was earning around $10 an hour, that security guard job. He spent time with them all and seemed on good terms, so... Why exclude him? Well, there may have been a problem with the way that the will had been drafted. The wording was that Donald Jr. was excluded, yet Donald was known as Senior and his son as Junior. And that's something we'll never know the answer to because obviously Von Seal's no longer around to clarify what she actually meant. Police jumped on that as the motive, money, Donald being cut out. And the only way he would inherit was if everyone was dead, as neither Richard or John had a will. Problem was, Donald denied knowing the contents of his mother's will and also denied knowing that his brothers hadn't left wills and the police couldn't prove it either way. October, the autopsy report comes back. Von Seal and John had been beaten around the head with what they believed to be a hammer found in the kitchen. And then they've had their throats cut. Von Seal had been hit at least eight times. Richard had been shot behind the ear, but it wasn't enough to kill him. It was more of a stun shot. And he had also had his throat cut. I don't believe there was ever any evidence of Donald owning a gun or disposing of one. And nor did they ever find the knife used to cut their throats. Sorry, but how's a shot in the head considered a stun shot? Because apparently it was a crappy shot. But they never did mention what the calibre of the bullet was. Which got me... Mm-hmm. Water pistol. How have you not killed someone by shooting him in the head? I, yeah. I know it happens, but come on. Yeah, well, I, would, I went digging around and I went, no, there's something funny here. They also didn't find any gunshot residue on Donald, nor any blood on any clothing in his car or his house. Yes, he could have swiftly disposed of stuff, but... Mm, but thinking back, Donald was a security guard, okay at a hospital, but possibly, probably carried a weapon maybe. And apparently they do do that out in Florida, which surprised me. Even so, he may have had access to people that could have gotten him one. It was curious that that was never delved into somehow. So I have a really brief question slash idea about gunshot residue. I know they use that as an example or evidence of you having shot a gun in the first place. Yes. And if they suspected you've done it, you own a gun, blah, blah, blah. Yes. What's to stop someone from shooting someone with a gun and then going to a shooting range? That's Nothing. That's an alibi for you having gunshot residue. Yeah, I know. How, how do you think that would play in court? Don't know. Never heard of it yet. <laughs> well, why, why haven't you? Why don't you? That's what I do. Yeah, of course I've got gunshot residue don't on me. Go giving them ideas, Cameron. They're not listening to this, although they might be because we're number 98. Or were. Donald gets arrested and after a grand jury hearing, which 
we explained in last week's episode, in the November, is indicted on three counts of first-degree premeditated murder. Then there are a couple of years of legal arguments, with the defence trying to get various things thrown out. Late December 2021, there was a move by the defence which was interesting. They tried to file to prove a defence of mental mitigation. So what the heck was that? I don't know. Was that saying he was not of sound mind? What it actually entailed, I can't find. But in January of 2020, the court ruled that he was competent to stand trial. Now, up until that point, I had sort of thought that the police had blinkers on by not even looking at any other possibilities, even though they had all this DNA evidence. But after hearing about a possible defence of mental illness, that to me sounded like maybe a desperate attempt to get off. I, I don't know. 21st of January 2020, the trial starts. It's a death penalty trial, but only if the jury is unanimous at the penalty phase. Otherwise, it becomes life without parole if found guilty. Crime scene technicians and investigators offer no forensic evidence linking Donald to the crime scene, except for a pair of his shoes and areas of his home that tested positive for the presumptive presence of blood. But the crime scene technician then concedes on cross-examination that the presumptive test does not say whose blood it was and that materials such as animal blood, cleaning supplies or certain vegetables could lead to the same positive result. That's broccoli or cauliflower for two vegetables. And I'm sure I also read somewhere where vinegar is another one. So this presumptive test is pretty useless. The prosecution did this aha CSI moment only for the defence to basically knock it flat, flat on its backside, didn't they? Interestingly enough, some of the blood work was around blood smear. The assumption was that Von Seal had been killed in her chair or at least battered into unconsciousness. She was a larger woman and I think anyone would have struggled to move her, but it seems she may have been tipped out of the recliner onto a rug and then dragged through to the bedroom where she was found and sort of dragged up onto the bed with the rug and then covered over. There were drag marks in blood all down the hallway. And I know you're not a fan of blood work or analysis, Cameron, but blood smears down the hallways are fairly good indication. I don't know blood spatter analysis. There's too many variables. Same with bites. Yeah. So Donald had been kept in jail the whole time waiting for his trial. And when a prison inmate testified, and some of it's actually corroborated by Donald's own son on the stand, it then seems to sort of seal the deal. This guy is often called his cellmate, but he wasn't. They were in the same block in the prison, but they didn't share a cell. Donald would tell someone to go and get the guy and come to his cell where they could have a chat. When he was asked on the stand why Donald just didn't come down to his cell to have a chat, he said people were scared of Donald as they thought he was a witch. The prisoner told the court that Donald had told him that his son had been molested by Donald's half-brother John when Donald's son was three. Donald had apparently told Von Seal his mother and she didn't believe it. And Donald harboured hatred for her and for the fact that Von Seal treated Donald differently from the other two boys. And he told the court that Donald did know that he and his son had been left out of Von Seal's will as far back as 2012, when Von Seal had told him 
that him and his son had been basically disinherited. He also tells the court that the reason Von Seal was so wealthy was that her deceased husband had left her a lot of money and that is why she wanted to pass it on to John and Richard as he had been their father, not Donald's. Donald's father was a previous husband, so she felt that they should have it and not Donald. Does that make sense? He also tells the court that Donald had told... It's also not fair. Let's just put that out there. Yeah. It's like saying, I love these two more, not you. Mm -hmm. He also tells the court that Donald had told him that he'd been planning this for three or four years, but using the Ouija board had sort of tipped him over the edge. Remember the one that police had found in Donald's house? But the prosecutor didn't dig into that at all. And I watched Donald do the thing where he kept putting his fingers over his mouth to shut himself up when he was listening to this guy testifying. What tipped him over the edge? How? Was that maybe the mental problem that the defence had tried? Don't know. Obviously, the defence tried to pull the guy apart. He was getting benefit from testifying, but the guy did know about the end of Von Seal's finger being cut off which is believed by the police to have been an attempt to get her to reveal the combination to the safe in the house, which was said to have had around $10,000 in it. And it would, that detail had been kept quiet. How this guy, this prison inmate, knew this, somebody had to have told him. I will say that the prisoner um, was on an attempted murder charge and he could have gotten life. But the prosecution agreed to cap it at 30 years for the testimony in Donald's case. And he got the max. But for testifying, he was hoping that they would ask the judge to reduce his sentence. There were no promises to get it reduced. He was just hopeful. And I'm not a fan of those types of evidence coming up. This guy had six or seven felony convictions. He couldn't actually remember. And the prosecution didn't clarify it on the stand. He's also got an incentive to lie and essentially just create a story so that he is then testifying. It doesn't exactly. matter if it's truthful or not. Exactly. The condition was if you testify and try to help us, we'll give you the good stuff. Yeah. It got me thinking in the UK, the best anyone can normally hope for is moving to a nicer prison or perhaps closer to the family. I don't remember any case where someone got a reduced sentence for testifying against somebody in the UK. I'm probably wrong, but none spring to mind. I might have to go digging into that one, but didn't have time. Donald's son... Donald Jr. goes up to testify. Donald Sr. had been only 23 when his son had been born, and they were not close. They only spoke about twice a year, and often the son couldn't get in touch with Donald as he'd either changed his number or the number had been cut off, and he would have to ring his Uncle Richard to find out the new one. And he'd not actually physically seen his father for 23 years, roughly two years after his parents had gotten divorced. Donald's son then told the court that John had exposed him to himself when he was a child at around four or five years old, not three like the prison inmate had said, and Von Seal had taken John-sized. Easy mistake to make. Donald could have misspoken when he said it. He could have got the, the timing wrong. He's not seen his number 20 years. It's an old story as to why he might hate his brother in a specific way and the, the prisoner might have been listening or paying full attention so just to say the wrong date by a year or two that's not that significant i don't think well you think three four or five is the big age wise but with a child and a child's memory it is and it's also the ability to describe what happened a three-year-old would not have the vocabulary a five-year-old would have and apparently when it happened donald jr went and told his mother who told his father who then went and told his mother 
So, yeah, but I know what you're saying, but... Yeah, it's not saying the source of the information itself is unreliable or the story is fabricated. It's that it's easy to make errors in those conversations. Yes. A, a year here or there isn't that much of a big thing. I know it makes sense in the greater scheme of things to the age of the victim or the son. But it's easy to mix that up. It's easy if you say, oh, I was with them last Wednesday when you weren't, you were with them last Thursday. It's just, a st- it's easy to make. I understand where you're coming from, but it was the language used that bothered me and the way the prosecutor actually handled the son, which she handled him with the absolute kid gloves. And I understand that. But she didn't actually ask him for details of what had happened, whether it was exposure or molestation. Both are equally bad, but it's the details that are missing that bothered me from a, I want, I want things that are going to fit together that actually make sense. And there was too many. You want closure on the information. Yeah. yeah. Not hands up in the air. We don't yeah. know what happened. No. I, I don't disbelieve something happened. Definitely. But what was it? Donald's son then said something that was rather interesting. That in 2015, Donald had rung him and reminded him of the situation when he was young. And he had brought up some investigator from somewhere like the Department of Homeland Security or something similar had contacted him and maybe John had done something inappropriate with another child at Walmart. That wasn't dug into either. Makes sense if Richard could have been blackmailed for some family secret. He would have been a security risk, wouldn't he? So he was asked about his grandmother's and uncle's relationship with his father and he described his father as being treated like the black sheep of the family because Donald had married his mother, which had caused a rift, then the incident with John. He told the court that they were the only two incidences he knew of personally, but that his mother had told him of other incidences. That was never expanded on due to hearsay rules, but nosy me wanted to know. I wanted to know why the defence didn't try and call his ex-wife, who could testify to what had happened with Donald's family. Maybe they didn't paint him in a good light. Questions. Donald Jr., also told the court that, as I suspected, if his father was disqualified from collecting his inheritance, then he would be the beneficiary of their estate, as there was no other living relative within that line, and he had probate lawyers working on it for him. The defence also called a Wiccan minister to the stand. Well, I mean, I thought that was odd, as there's no actual organisation nor hierarchy, but this guy testified, it probably didn't help. A defence pathologist suggested that the estimated time of death may have been 24 to 36 hours after Donald said he'd last seen him. So that's the clothes and the rugs defence, yeah? The body temperature was wrong. The judge shut down a defence attempt to bring in expert testimony that could have challenged the DNA results. The DNA all seemed to be the touch type, not fingerprints and DNA, and touch type would have possibly been a thing from transfers. If he's in the house every Tuesday, I would suggest it's possible it could be transfer. If he's touched one thing, somebody else touches it, carries it across. Hmm? Donald had been happy initially to talk to investigators. He'd even offered to take a lie detector test, which was refused. Because it's fucking useless, doesn't do anything. Yeah, but it sometimes makes people believe somebody, doesn't it? Whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. But he didn't testify at trial, as is his right. But it's well known that juries don't like that. Isn't that the fifth? No. You, you don't have to say anything? Yeah. You plead the fifth, so you don't have to, like... Right. Well, let, let, let's go into that. 
when he had this interview, and I've got the interrogation footage, um, and I did sit and watch it, and I, I just, I don't get it, but I kind of do, and it's going to go back to something you've got a real bugbear about, which is the price of justice. Over here in the UK, if you're potless, they will appoint you with a solicitor. In the States, they will do that. You literally could get absolutely anybody. When you're arrested in the UK, you read your rights and you have a right to sit there and say no comment. I have watched many um, interrogation where it's hours yeah, and they'd literally say no comment the no entire comment. time. And yeah. there's nothing similar in the US. The only thing you could do is plead the fifth, which is the right to not incriminate yourself. But that immediately makes somebody think, well, what are you trying to hide? That's something that Donald Trump tried to say once. It was, <laughs> it was like, if you plead the fifth, it just makes you look guilty. If you have nothing bad, then why don't you... It's, it's no different than saying, if you've got nothing to hide, then why will not you show me your phone? But you have like, the right to privacy, blah, blah, blah. And then when he got in trouble, he was like, uh, the fifth, I'm pleading the fifth. Well, he's this Donald, this Donald, not Trump. He's sat there chatting away quite happily to these investigators. And I'll go into that a bit further on. But the prosecution said that Donald had turned the TVs off. The defence said no DNA and there was no fingerprints, which is easily avoided with a cloth or a jumper over the hand. You know, Donald said he left before Richard gets home. Yet a neighbour who'd been used to seeing the cars come and go and they'd seen what was identified as Donald's car leaving much later, around 40 minutes after Richard's car had been seen returning home and around twilight, as it was referred to many times. Not dark, but you should put your car lights on and this car that was left had no headlights on. 30th of January, the jury returns with a guilty verdict. 7th of February 2020, Donald completely blindsides his lawyers by standing up and asking the judge to rule for a mistrial and he wanted to read a lengthy statement he had written to the court. He told the judge he hadn't discussed it with his lawyers as they told him he couldn't ask for a mistrial and he wanted to read this statement as it concerned his lawyers and the judge kept trying to get him to talk to his lawyers and he's saying no it's basically go and talk to your bullies type of please talk to them if he feels like he's being railroaded or he's got an incompetent lawyer why would he want to yeah I know. open a dialogue with them yeah so or even give them the the opportunity to say no 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 yeah judge allowed it he then donald then basically tried to present his own defense he claimed his lawyers had not used anything he'd given them and he talked for about 45 minutes. He cross-referenced every single bit of every deposition and evidence that he'd given. It was meticulously detailed and actually goes to show how the prosecution brought in a couple of times. He was an expert chess player and therefore was intelligent. It showed to me he was detailed, methodical and very, very sure that he could prove he was innocent if only his lawyers had run the case the way he had wanted them to. Slight caveat there. Just because you're good at chess doesn't mean you're intelligent. It's a game. 
Yeah, but that's how the prosecution angled it. Because I kept wondering why they drop in that he's a chess player. It shows that you have good memory and that you've got, I don't know, the capacity to play to play a game and get good at it. But why is that any different than anything else? Why is that different than playing cards, being good at poker, for example? You have to, you have to like, it's memory. It's just memory. But Donald was super, super crafty. As he'd refused to testify, he couldn't be examined on cross. So by giving this really long statement and all his so-called evidence, it couldn't be challenged as he wasn't actually testifying. But the judge let him do it and then demolished most of his arguments as, unfortunately for him, the rights and wrongs he claimed had no legal standing in law and he didn't have the right at that point to ask for a mistrial. He was also very manipulative. He kept banging on about how he was only a $10 an hour security guard and he couldn't possibly have argued against all these learned lawyers. It was really creepy. It was also very obvious during this tirade that he was super, super angry that his son was going to inherit all this money. It's interesting. The defence, his actual lawyers, then wanted to introduce some family tree going back to 1936 in mitigation and asked that some expert be brought in to show that there was a genetic and hereditary victimisation of Donald that had gone on. The prosecution obviously objected and the judge was not impressed and refused to allow it. Said they'd look at this chart that they had, but no, you're not bringing an expert in for that. It then goes to the penalty phase on the same day. So death sentence or life without parole. I'm going to come out and say I'm not in favour of the death penalty. I used to be, did I did until I did some minor law courses and realised it's so nuanced sometimes. I just don't feel anymore it's about something that a civilised society should do. Yes, I know the cost of keeping people locked up for life. But in 1769, William Blackstone is supposed to have said, the law holds that it is better that 10 guilty persons escape than one innocent suffer. I was taken aback when I went looking for that quote as Blackstone is still published and it's required reading and I remember buying it back in the day. So I kind of get it, but also I don't. Well, I'm anti-death penalty. The amount of cases where this is a, a vigilante policeman yeah. or just poor, uh, poor prosecution, poor defence. If you're a poor person and yeah. you're going against someone, you can get, you can, I said the word earlier, you can get railroaded where they just decide, oh, let's put them away for whatever reason. Well, for, for me, personally, there are also too many cases where people have been locked up until either the science catches up or someone finally tells the truth. And in a lot of cases, instead of getting exonerated, they get it gets dismissed. So the person who's been in prison for over 30 years gets nothing. Yeah. And when they come out, they don't have any ID. They don't have, they have any clothes. They don't have any communication. They have no contacts. They have no friends. So, so what, what, what do they do? He's 63 years old at this stage. Donald was given 30 years on three counts of premeditated murder and they were to be served concurrently. So he's, in effect, he's got a 90-year sentence. He's 63. I started on this case and I saw pictures of Donald and it stuck with me for days until I finally clicked that he didn't remind me of a teacher or a librarian. But if you ever saw The Lost Boys back in the day, he absolutely gives off the head vampire feel Phil, the one who ran the video store, even down to the really old-fashioned car he drove. Look at this picture, folks, and tell me I'm wrong. If you want to listen to the whole trial, 
and it goes on four days, go and look up Law and Crime on YouTube and it's all there. I did watch a lot to get to the final details that weren't in any of the reports I read. And I've dropped the link for a few of those into the show notes. There's also the link to the police interrogation of Donald. And it was interesting, that one. They seemed so disinterested in what he was saying, but it was an act. But Donald also had some strange memory lapses. The police didn't like the fact they were not a close family. And they did try an angle that he was treated differently. And yet he said he hadn't been. They'd asked him, they said to him, uh, we went and searched your house. And he said, yeah. And they said, you've got a Ouija board? And he said, yeah. And I've also got a prayer room. And they said, ah, you're into wicker, aren't you? And he said, yes. And they said, what is that? And he said, it's prayer and you deal with nature and things like that. Yeah, but what is it? Can you expand on it a bit more? So he did a little bit and he said, he contradicted himself at the time. He said, you pray in a circle, then said it's a solitary ancient religion. They were yawning. They were acting disinterested, but they weren't. And they would try and talk him round into something, then pounce on a, a hard moment. And Donald didn't give it to him. He actually asked the police officers if he looked like a total maniac to them. And they both answered, yes. Donald comes across in the interrogation video as reasonable and measured. But when he finally spoke in court, not so much. But he'd been in prison for three years, so I can kind of. He's also known as indigent. He needs a public defender to take his case. Isn't to it indigent? No, indigent. Is pronou- we pronounce it as indigent. He's, he's potless. He's got no money whatsoever. He's got nothing. So he'll need a public defender to take his case to appeal. And we're still waiting for this. He'd lived with his ex-wife and son in Virginia. And when he moved back to be near his family, his mother found the house he ended up renting. The police asked him in that interrogation video why he didn't move in with his mother. And initially, Donald said that his daddy was still alive and not enough room. And then later said she didn't ask him. And then they queried why his mother hadn't asked him. And then why didn't he ask her? But there was no answer. Von Seal was 19 when she'd had Donald and then 28 when she'd had Richard and she was remarried by that point. And it seems Donald always called the stepfather daddy, yet he'd never been adopted. The theory behind the will is that Von Seal wanted John, the son with learning disabilities, to be looked after and knew that Richard would do it. And probably Donald wouldn't. He had almost no contact with his own son had not made a success of his life unlike Richard, and maybe she was worried he would spend it all. Von Seal had an older sister and nieces and nephews down in Mobile, in Alabama, and Donald contradicted himself during that interrogation, saying that his mother wanted nothing to do with them, so they only visited if they wanted money, then saying she would give them money if they needed it. Finally, though, a lot of the evidence was taken up with Von Seal's spending on the QVC channel. The woman liked to shop, but she bought stuff for her sons a lot of the time and for all three of them. The month before her murder, she had actually spent $6,000 on QVC stuff alone. Is he guilty? Sorry, what was that time span that she spent? The months before, she spent $6,000 on... on How did she spend six bands on QVC? I don't know. It's all... I know South Park did an episode where it's all the old people watching television that just buy diamonds that are worth like three fifty, 
Yeah. For, we used to watch that jewellery channel, didn't we, years and years ago. Look at this jewel. If you bought it in a jewellers in Hatton Garden, it would cost you £47,000. But in the next half an hour, you can have it for £4.50. Do you remember those? Yeah, it'll be entertainment because it's so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah we should just sit with our mouths open watching it. It was just... Is he guilty, do you think? I don't know. I think the police did pick on him specifically because he is Wiccan. So to them, it's kind of weird. Well, and, and they think oh, it might be tied to a cult, devil worship stuff. And depending on where they're from. I can't believe they, they announced that at a press conference. I, I know it's in Florida. I don't know how religious they are, but they might see someone that's from a different religion or what they might deem as slightly satanic and they can jump on it. That's the and feel then, I got. And the, conviction will, sorry, the prosecution will know that they can play on that mm. because people think, oh, it's weird. It's different. We're American. Come on, brother. We believe in Jesus, even though we don't believe in social health care. Just saying. It was the fact for me that the police did not look at anyone else. They told Donald that if it was a local addict or porch pirates, after all these QVC packages, they would have broken in and torn the house up. But where's the gun and the knife? The evidence. Some was sound. But you've got the DNA on Richard's checkbook with blood on the outer cover, but it's touch DNA. And if I was on the jury, I would, I think I would have leaned on the side of reasonable doubt. The speech he gave to the court about how his lawyers had rolled him over and also fooled the judge was not a good move at all. It really did piss that judge off. But after a lot of thought, I have to say that the prosecution case to me had holes you could drive the bus through. The defence case, well, there wasn't one really. How can you prove a negative? You can't. Yeah. One side has the burden of proof, which in this case is the prosecution. Yeah. They're trying to prove they're guilty, and that's why you come back with not guilty instead of innocent. Because that's the two different things. Yeah, but it's... You can't the, prove the guilt. We're not proving they're innocent. But you, the just, defense, you just can't prove they are guilty. The defence case just didn't seem to pull apart the prosecution case the way it should have done. It was... I I read some remarks online about, um, you know, he did have a... I just don't think they knew what to do with him. There was three of them. There was a lead defence and there was two female. There was He was male and then there was two female ones. And it was pretty damned obvious they really didn't like him, the females. He, he gave them the creeps and he gave me the creeps to watch well, they him. They probably didn't like him after he said they were incompetent. Well, they did try and get themselves, you know, we've got no, we can't work with a, um, a defendant that doesn't... Like us and won't work with us. But then have they not given any ammo for that? Yeah, but they were right at the end of the trial and it would have meant a mistrial and the judge is like, no, we're not doing this, we're getting this done. We're getting this done. Whatever he is, he isn't likeable and sometimes that's actually all the jewellery needs, unfortunately. And you're back to a case where money talks, he's got no money, so... I have a question. In the beginning, in your intro, Mm -hmm. you basically described the Dunning-Kruger effect of someone not knowing anything and thinking they know a lot and the more they learn, they realise, oh, I don't know anything. Yeah. What was that an example of? And how did that relate to this? It was the police. They found the Ouija board in Donald's house. Donald's Oh, and then immediately thought, oh, Pentecostal, oh, Satanist. And then just turns out it's Wiccan, which is like... And they still didn't understand what Wicca was. They didn't even do a basic search. So this might be a bit of a throwback to some of the listeners. I'm not sure what our demographics are, age-wise. But the first time I was ever exposed to anything Wiccan was a Scooby-Doo movie. Okay. One of the women that Shaggy fancied was a Wiccan. She was like a witch type thing. I've not so seen I, that I, one. I, I have no bit. idea how Wiccan and paganism is presented in media. To, I think most people would think it's devil worship. 
I would have said because they oh, believe witchcraft. in magic and well, then witchcraft and then witches are for some reason unexplicably linked to the devil. In some mythologies, whatever you have to sell your soul to become a witch, so therefore you sell it to the devil. Yeah, but blah, not, blah, blah. not all Wiccans believe in it. It's not an organised religion at all. They do believe in a mother and a father. And it's an earth religion, but in my mind, paganism means it's ancient and it's not because it comes from this. I say, when I went reading, my I talk about glazing over when I was reading it because all you've got all these academics raging at each other that they don't agree what Wiccan is because they can't put a label on it. And the police actually asked him, they said, where did you find out about, you know, what made you become one? And he said, I watched a film and it interested me. And then he actually named a bookstore, which I thought was funny. And he went and got a book on it and then just started practicing by himself. He wasn't part of a coven or a group. It was... It makes more sense when you think about it. But rather than having a ethereal, transient being like a Judeo-Christian god... Yeah. ...birthed everything into existence based on the whim. Or you have a more naturalistic example, paganism, Wiccan, whatever. The Earth's here some cool shit happens it's probably something related to that as an atheist myself it all just seems the same thing to me so it doesn't matter i i still don't understand how that jury actually managed to make it beyond a reasonable doubt because i wouldn't have done there was too many yeah but what about what ifs yeah yeah i understand which is i'm glad that they did that for the death penalty phase they were not unanimous so they thought there wasn't sufficient evidence enough for him to be killed for it but Yes. Enough for him to be sentenced for it. So don't they kind of conflict? It did in my head. Yeah, I was not... Mm. You're completely unrelated to the case or anything else. No one will really care. I think it looks a lot like James Spader from uh, The Blacklist and the voice of Ultron and he was in Stargate. It looks like him. And then in, in the second pictures when he's in on trial, he looks like Willem Dafoe. But that's why I'm, I said about Lost Boys. If you've ever seen The Lost Boys and you look for the head vampire and he drove a car... Some kind of when he's in that suit, he looks like a doctor, doesn't he? Or a lawyer himself. He 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 looks like a yeah. Looks a bit like a vampire, actually. I'll take that back. Yeah. Looks like a vampire. So yeah. maybe Wiccan paganism shit is satanic. But it was he unfortunately didn't have the right kind of poker face. He looked aloof most of the time. He didn't react to things, and it, it didn't really didn't the didn't jury play would, well for the jury. No, they wouldn't have liked that. So finally. The victims who should not be forgotten. Von Seal, aged 78. Richard, aged 49. John, aged 47. So that's the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. For listening to the Patreon. Thank you very much. It means a lot. You can listen to this for free, but you choose to support us, which means a lot to me. It's appreciated, anyway. yes. Yeah. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me Monday Podcast and email us at murdermemondaypodcast.gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Peace.